this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host ji sampath the dates for the gujarat assembly elections have been announced the polls will be held in two phases on december 1st and 5th and the results will be declared on december 8th now the bjp has been in power in gujarat since 1995 that is 27 years but there's still been little talk of any kind of anti incumbency and most analysts and in one opinion poll have predicted another comfortable victory for the bjp however unlike in the past this time with the aam aadmi party in the mix many constituencies are expected to see a three cornered contest instead of a two way contest between the bjp and the congress so which party is likely to suffer more due to the up factor will it be the congress or the bjp is this splash made by up merely a social media phenomenon as some have alleged or has it made an impact on the ground as well and what will be the significance of this election for the bjp looking ahead to the 2024 lok sabha elections we explore all these questions in this episode of the in focus podcast and our guest today is rahul verma fellow at the center for policy research new delhi rahul thank you so much for joining us uh, thank you sampath thank you for having me uh, rahul to start with i i have a very basic question about the issues in this election now for instance the congress has been claiming that voters are concerned about inflation the worried about unemployment worried about the slowdown in the economy and so on so what to your mind are the actual issues that are going to be a factor in this election or do you think it should be another issue less election or an election where issues are less important and people would again vote their identity as it as it were okay let me make two points here first the economic concerns beat inflation unemployment corruption price rise all these issues are very much prevalent in this gujarat election and they are also part of most elections that have taken place in last 5 6 years in fact uh, uh, the csds uh, pre poll survey which was published in the hindu couple of days back pointed out a large number of people being worried about it the key question is whether these concerns can get translated into vote choices or not right and and that doesn't always happen so that does not mean election is an issueless election it also depends on the ability of political players and especially the opposition to make those elections as referendum on some of the key issues so congress is right that voters are uh, concerned about these things but whether this would be the most important factors on which voters are going to vote in december first week the second point which i want to make is i think we often tend to do this issue versus identity as a binary choice in voting behavior i don't think it works like that on the ground often identities and issues overlap they are intermingled in some ways or, or others so issues of price rise or unemployment are also going to be more for certain sections of the society that does not mean you know an upper caste urban uh, upper class person is not concerned about uh, price rise or uh, unemployment but those issues pinch those who are below or or bottom of the hierarchy much more right and so these are intermingled things 
So you you just mentioned that voters are indeed concerned about price rise and unemployment etc. But it is up to the political parties to sort of make the election a referendum on these issues. Now I can understand if one were to make a distinction between people and voters. People are affected by inflation. People are affected by unemployment. People are affected by corruption. But when you when we say voters, I mean they are already framed as individuals who are going to vote. And if that is on their mind, it be why should the onus be on the political party to just tell them it's like you take the horse to the water, but why should the political party come and make the horse drink that water? Like what is it that the political party needs to know, needs to do further to to sort of tell them, okay, you guys are suffering, vote according to what you what is what can make your suffering less. If you if you think the government is taking you for granted, change the government. If you think the government is doing well. Uh, what for the government? Like, is there some kind of spoon feeding kind of a thing? Are voters really stupid? No, no, it's not sort of stupid. Uh, Sampa, this is a really good question and a question at the heart of people who study elections and voting behavior. Think about this: the act of vote is just one, right? You get only one vote to choose uh, who you are going to vote. But there are going, there are always multiple issues which are present in any. Uh, electoral system, right? So there are economic concerns, there are social concerns. Questions of social justice is also important. There are concerns about community and identity. There are questions about nationalism, foreign policy, patriotism. So there are multiple issues that are present. When I'm saying polit, it depends on political parties. What political parties do in the campaign? they basically set the structure or the agenda of politics and voters are responding to those structures and agenda of the politics that's point number 1 two voters have to always think about the competitive credibility of the alternatives that are available right and so in any given point of time i know inflation is a problem i know unemployment is a problem but do i believe that the opposition is more credible to be able to solve that problem then there is an issue or as a voter i have to think which one of these issues are more important for me so the issue voting calculus is a very very complicated uh, arena and so everyone every political party will try to make what they think are their strongest point salient the reason bjp plays on nationalism the reason bjp plays on religious axis the the reason bjp will play on big infrastructure is because those are the issues with which that party can mobilize voters better a party in government is never going to talk about inflation a party in government is never going to talk about unemployment right and so the structure or agenda of politics gets set in in the campaign and voters have to make choices between everything that is there and decide which one matters more for them right you you are absolutely right when you talk about uh, competitive credibility i think that's a, that's a big factor especially when we look at a state which has been uh, a fairly conservative shall we say on this front where it has gone with the known uh and the family for 27 years now coming back to the identitarian question how do you see the various groups voting this time around we last last time we saw uh, the patels uh, voting in a particular way the tribals the dalits etc 
are there any particular trends or uh, little anticipate so so two points first on the question of gujarat being conservative and electing the same uh, party think on the other side of india west bengal you won't call it a conservative state it elected left for more than 20 25 years and now has elected tmc for the third time right and so uh, so it's not uh, whether like the society is structured in one way and why they are electing uh, a particular party for continuously many many years and, and that's why for me the structure of competition is very very important that determines which issues will become important which parties are likely to get more favor over the others and that's how voters are basically responding to a set it's not calling them stupid basically your choices are constrained uh, in a setup right so for example himachal is voting and gujarat is voting uh, the structure of competition in these two states have for a long period of time till before this election it was just congress versus bjp uh, election gujarat this time as you rightly pointed out in your uh, introduction could be three cornered in many constituencies right so structure of competition has changed voters have a new alternative here that same alternative which looked like will be available in himachal 6 months ago is now less likely to, uh, to be happening right so that's point one second i don't think there is any big change in the patterns how these communities are going to vote for especially uh, as the polls you suggested so csds pre poll survey as well as uh, c voter surveys that uh, are continuously coming out they are basically sending signals that largely these communities are going to vote as they have been voting thus far in 2017 last election partidar agitation people like hardik patel and others were mobilizing against bjp so bjp had suffered some losses uh, among the partidars last time i don't think it will face similar issues this time and the votes among tribals and dalits uh, so far had remained uh, fragmented going with both bjp and the congress now with the entry of aap it would be interesting to see uh which slice of these communities does aap get would it be from the congress side or would it from the bjp slice right now speaking of the aam aadmi party uh, it hasn't had much time to sort of uh, put in roots and build a base in gujarat so we don't know what what is the strength of the ground level organization so uh, what do you think of their approach do you see any parallels between uh, what they did in punjab and now in gujarat no i would say see uh, punjab was a completely different story uh, i think uh, uh, if you think about it the first four mps that aam aadmi party won in 2014 they all came from punjab in 2017 aap seemed like to be emerging a very very important party uh, and it did emerge as the uh, uh, as the main opposition in the house in 2019 again it had mps from punjab so in 2022 the aap's victory owes to a 8 year build up 8 or 9 years of build up in gujarat that kind of build up has not taken place uh, right so good or bad they must have been able to develop some sort of like organizational roots with uh, those many mps and mlas in punjab in gujarat in fact like the party has shifted its divided focus which was with both uh, in himachal and gujarat 3 or 4 months ago to gujarat alone so in some pockets like surat where they had a good showing during municipal elections they might have some roots 
But in large parts of Gujarat, uh, I don't think the Ahmadi Party has organizational muscle, and that's why many commentators are pointing out that AAP is much more of a uh, social media phenomena in Gujarat. I think it's beyond that social media phenomena. AAP is going to break in Gujarat for sure. Now, whether that break in is going to happen at eight to ten percent level or eighteen to twenty percent level, that remains to be seen. Uh, so. AAP is definitely going to make a splash in Gujarat. It's about uh, the quantum of splash. Right. You you correctly pointed out that in Punjab, AAP needed eight years. They took eight years to sort of come to the position they've reached uh, today. So now I'm just curious if, let's say, a similar, similar time frame in Gujarat, uh, given that kind of time, since five to seven years, eight years, do you think this AAP strategy of soft Hindutva plus pools and hospitals, as it were, will it also work in Gujarat, which is unlike Punjab, a home base for the BJP? Uh, absolutely. I, I think, uh, see, uh, Arvind Kejriwal and Aam Admi Party has been, one, very pragmatic uh, uh, since last few years as far as their electoral politics is concerned. And see the, the, the level of pragmatism. Rather than divided focus on two states, they quickly realize that they may not be able to break grounds in Himachal Pradesh. Why not put entire energy in one state and, you know, make some uh, tent in Gujarat? So, one, they are pragmatic. Two, there is some traction. So, uh, you know, we can discuss the merits and demerits of Delhi model of governance separately. But there is a traction of what they call as Delhi model of governance among general people. People do engage you in a conversation about schools in Delhi and hospitals in Delhi and electricity bill and other things. And then uh, this sort of like, you know, uh, soft and Hindutva kind of plan which you are talking about. So I don't think soft Hindutva is going to bring them any votes. It's basically to try to place themselves in a position where what Arvind Kejriwal and AAP is saying that don't dismiss us because uh, we are not Hindu enough. So basically compare us with Congress or BJP on the governance. We, so, so that's what they are trying to do with the soft Hindutva. If they manage, so they are not, I'm not saying they are going to get vote because of soft Hindutva, but if they manage to make a dent in Gujarat this time, if they manage to challenge the stronghold of Congress this time, and as Congress continues to weaken uh, and it shows no signs of revival, there is enough indication coming from survey data, not just in Gujarat, but also from other places in the country, that AAP has a momentum. And so in years to come, it's like not two, three, four years, but in years to come, if Congress does not show any signs of recovery, that vacuum will be filled by some player. And at the moment, it looks like AAP would be that player in the longer run. Right. I mean, it's, it's very interesting what you just said. You're saying that AAP did not do, does not do soft Hindutva for votes. It basically does soft Hindutva to sort of come convey that don't discount this because we are not Hindu enough. No. So are, are you then suggesting that this soft Hindutva Hinduness has become some kind of a basic baseline for political engagement uh, in Gujarat at least? Yes, it has become a baseline across the country in some ways. Uh, the second uh, part of so, uh, 
the structure of competition which i began with one part of the structure of competition is of course the players who are competing second what the ideological middle ground on which uh, the competition is taking place and in last 5 6 years especially with the rise of bjp and prime minister narendra modi it seems that there is an ideological consensus emerging uh, on the question of hinduness or hindutva right and so the bjp's continued thrust on non bjp parties especially congress playing not just uh, pro muslim appeasement their mobilization plank has been that some of these parties are actually anti hindu and you are seeing repercussions or effect of this where even political parties like samajwadi party or tmc you could see their nomination patterns as far as muslims are concerned is changing and all of this basically signals that there is either some kind i i don't know what the best term to describe the situation would be but everyone seems to believe that at the moment if you seem to be anti hindu you are in a really really bad position politically and so that's where the new ideological uh, consensus seems to be emerging at least within the elite circles beat politics business and and, and journalism and so this is the ideological uh, consensus and the baseline for uh, political engagement with voters and electorates so do you think the congress is sort of unnecessarily losing out on this by not acknowledging and uh, sort of embracing this reality because they have still hold held or held back from this of course occasionally you do have uh, uh, forays into soft hindutva from the congress but it's not consistent you know it's like sections here and there but the main uh, the main fulcrum the gandhi family has uh, in fact stayed away for the most part so do you think they they are like losing out for no reason because of this factor no so this is a difficult question actually sampat to answer uh, as a political party you are always going to be in dilemma especially a political party which is in decline which does not have lots of uh, strategy options to explore what do you do do you accept the emerging consensus and play to the emerging consensus or do you try to influence or change the emerging consensus and that dilemma is very much part of the congress party repto at the moment that's why you keep seeing uh, this flip flop sometimes they would try to become soft hindutva by going to mandirs or bearing janehu and talking in these languages and at other times they will take sort of like old style uh, secular platforms and and political uh, line so i don't blame congress for you know do, doing this uh, flip flop of course it's hurting them but it's it's basically a difficult trajectory or a difficult point to decide what do you do and it's not just like at the moment if the consensus seems to be on the hindutva plank that's the difficulty congress is facing think about the 60s and 70s and 80s a party like bharatiya janasangh would have been facing the same dilemma whether you pursue what is uh, the sort of like the ideological consensus that was emerging on secular nationalism or you try to push the boundaries on hindutva politics right and you see that uh, dilemma in the 1980s convention when bjp was being formed that's why they went for gandhian socialism and those kind of things so political parties it's not an easy choice and once you succeed then everything looks fine that you took all the right decision but if you don't succeed then even the right decisions look like bad moves right it is definitely not an easy choice i think uh, 
uh, needs a lot of uh, clarity of vision and really a strong leadership to be able to take uh, or make a choice one way or the other. Coming to the Congress campaign uh, right now in Gujarat, it is it has been fairly quiet. We haven't been hearing too many things about it. Do you think they will be able to match their 2017 performance of 99 seats now that they are without the momentum, the energy generated by the young trio of Alpesh, Thakur, Ardik Patel and Dignesh Mewani, which they enjoyed in 2017? Again, a <laughs> uh, uh, difficult question to answer sitting uh, here from Delhi. And the, the, the reason is following, right? And, and, and the reason why you said that there seems to be a quiet in what Congress seems to be doing in Gujarat is that we don't hear a lot of things happening in Gujarat Congress. In fact, the center of activity in the Congress party at the moment is associated with Bharat Jodo Yatra, which is not touching Gujarat or going to Gujarat at all. And, and so one is sort of baffled that what kind of strategy Congress party has for these two states, which are going for polls. And the top national leadership of Congress party is absent in both the states. So what is and in both these states, uh, uh, Congress has a fair chance to compete and maybe at least convert one of these states in their favor. But by not putting their weight and energy, the national leadership, by not putting their weight and energy in these two states seems to be giving walkover. I don't know what the final result in these two states are going to be, but it, it seems that the national leadership is, is staying out of these uh, two states. There is some uh, activity, of course, at the state level. Uh, the state level leadership is involved. But the reporters, which I read in various newspapers by very seasoned journalists, seems that not just the Congress uh, local level leaders are a bit of dis disappointed, but even Congress voters are sensing that they have been basically uh, left there which is what is creating more vacuum for uh, a party like AAP to move in. Can Congress repeat its 2017 performance? Given this situation and what the polls are pointing, I think it's very less likely. Uh, polls are, polls seems to be converging on a very comfortable lead for the BJP. And so the Ahmadi party to be able to uh, the Congress to be able to repeat the 2017 uh, performance when they actually gave a scare to BJP is unlikely to happen this time in Gujarat. So would that mean that the Ahmadmi Party is likely to sort of eat into the Congress's share more than the BJP's? Much more likely, of course. Right? Like when, whenever a new entrant moves in, it attacks the uh, weaker existing player, right? And so between BJP and Congress, uh, the Congress voter has been voting for the Congress party. Uh, they have a solid base for last 27 years. The party has not win. So there would be a segment within the Congress party uh, which would think, why not try for another alternative, right? And so Congress is much more likely to lose from not competing this election with their full might. It's not just now the election in Gujarat for Congress is not just to sort of like win the election but to be able to safeguard its uh, pace. Because if AAP damages and, and if AAP somehow either equals Congress or surpasses Congress, then the message that will come out from Gujarat results would be disastrous for Congress party going forward. Because that, that means Congress will be basically can get pushed to number three slots in many states of Northwest India, where it occupies the second spot at the moment. 
Right. I mean, it, it does seem uh, quite bizarre, isn't it? You've got like two important state elections uh, happening and then there's a lot of support needed. I mean, you need star campaigners and so on. You at least need to sort of project a perception, a project an interest, but then you've got this, I don't know, the national leadership out on a limb doing some yatra in a different part of the country. It does look a bit uh, strange, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. To any person uh, like you and me, we're basically baffled, right? What is Congress party doing uh, at the moment? Is there some grand strategy at work which we are not able to figure out? Because it seems obvious that you the national leaders should be investing energy in these two states. And in fact, if you remember, uh, after the crushing defeat uh, in UP 2017, Congress party actually, uh, it seemed like uh, a new sort of like energy emanating from Congress party from Gujarat 2017. And then in the 2018, they went on to do well in a couple of states uh, in Madhya Pradesh, Chhattisgarh and other places. So, so the momentum which Congress party gained in 2018 came out from its fighting spirit in 2017 in, in Gujarat. But this time, certainly baffling. I don't know what to say uh, on that. Yeah. And uh, coming to uh, the Morbi uh, bridge collapse uh, tragedy, Rahul, the opposition has been careful not to politicize it. But do you think that will be a factor given the number of people who have died and so on? And do you think it's going to affect the fortunes of the BJP in any way? That's difficult to say. So I, I wouldn't say that opposition is completely silent. Even, uh, you know, uh, Congress President Mr. Kharge has been tweeting, saying things about it. There has been lots of comments, uh, you know, in, including prime minister's speech when the Kolkata flyover had collapsed. And so people are comparing what prime minister said there and what happened in Mobi. So I wouldn't say Mobi is not a political issue and uh, opposition is not silent on it. It can definitely affect uh, BJP's fortune and that's why you saw BJP's top leadership, including Prime Minister, rushing to the spot, trying to meet the victims and other things. Uh, the reason why it may not affect the fortunes of the BJP drastically is because the kind of lead or gap BJP enjoys over the fragmented or divided uh, opposition between Congress and AAP. That's number one. And two, uh, all of these are basically, you know, no one issue is powerful enough to basically change the entire equation against BJP. And so what you needed is a much more powerful narrative against the BJP with a strong face, campaign by opposition. All these things needed to be combined to challenge BJP. Unfortunately, what we see things in bits and pieces, but not in a much more comprehensive challenge to the uh, BJP. Right. I mean, at least in theory, it does seem quite easy or quite obvious what the opposition needed to be able to challenge the BJP. As you said, a strong face, a clear narrative. Just these two things would help uh, to some extent. But then speaking of strong faces, one common weakness that, uh, that at least to my mind, uh, with all the three parties, including the BJP, is that none of them seems to have a strong local leader or a clear CM face. The BJP has been changing uh, chief ministers to sort of make up for this kind of a deficit. So why do you think this is the case? Why are there no strong leaders either from the AAP or the BJP or the Congress? 
So what I'm saying is that you are absolutely right that none of these parties have a strong CM face. Uh, and in fact, uh, the current chief minister was appointed a year ago in 2021 uh, and Vijay Rupani, the former chief minister, was replaced there. And many argue that had Vijay Rupani continued as chief minister, things would have become very difficult for BJP. So in some ways, the change of chief minister has brought some relief uh, to the BJP. But missing of similar uh, sort of a strong local face in the opposition camp, again, uh, you know, uh, the weakness in BJP is not being utilized by the opposition party uh, parties by presenting a very strong rooted face by either the Congress or AAP. So all of these things are part of the, like, you know, the number of players, what the government did, what issues are emerging, what is the baseline consensus, how the party organizations are, what the leadership faces are. All of these basically form the structure of the competition. So on each of these metrics, the opposition does not significantly outshines uh, BJP. Wherever BJP is weak, for example, on the leadership phase issue, the opposition is also weak. Right. Uh, we're running out of time, Rahul. So one final question where I want a really quick reply from you. What do you think is going to be the significance of uh, this Gujarat election coming? I mean, it is uh, right in the middle or more or less uh, of uh, the national government at the center. So looking ahead to the 2024 elections coming in the middle of this term, how do you see the significance of this electoral outcome? See, let's put it this way. If uh, Gujarat election becomes difficult for the BJP to win, then basically the challenges for BJP will keep adding up. But it does not mean that, uh, you know, the, the party will basically lose uh, 2024 national elections. Uh, I think we must understand that the state elections and national elections have separate logics at work, especially in last 10 years. Uh, if BJP wins, again, it doesn't give them any significant advantage vis-a-vis -vis national election. However, this election is really important for what the alternative to BJP would look like in years to come. If Congress does not manage to, you know, save its base, then basically we can like keep looking each of these elections which are coming going to come uh, in next few years as the chances of parties revival going down and a new party if AAP if AAP crosses 15 18% vote share mark then what we should be expecting an emergence of new national player sooner than the later so more than what it would do to the actual results of 2024 the significance of Gujarat election lies in basically setting the configuration of political competition in 2024 and beyond. Right. I think that's a very important point here. I mean, this, this electoral outcome is significant, not so much in itself, but in terms of giving us some kind of an indication about what an alternative to the BJP will look like in the years to come. So that's something to think about. Thank you so much, Rahul, for joining us, for sharing your thoughts and insights. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Samprat, for having me. It was a pleasure to talk. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for in focus by the Hindu.
We'll see you soon.